here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105.3 FM in Uppington. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Time for us to look at our health conversations as we always do at this time uh, of the evening. Remember, I love hearing from you. Please don't don't be a stranger. Make sure that you are sending me that WhatsApp on 0614-104-107 or SMSing me on 41391. And remember, on social media platform, SAFM Radio or at Patricia N. Nduli. I'd like to welcome our first guest and please do bear in mind because of time differences and technology there might be a bit of a lag in our discussion uh, because of time differences but our first guest is Dr. Ryan Bernard who's a critical care physician at Keck Hospital in Los Angeles and uh, he has been brought to us uh, by Co-Radio Global Health Education non-profit that facilitates discussions between frontline workers across the world. Dr. Bernard, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you very much for the welcome. I really appreciate uh, you and the Co-Radio Project for allowing me to connect with you guys uh, over there in South Africa. You know, I used to live in Johannesburg a, a long time ago, and so when I heard that uh, I would be connecting with you all, it was uh, really just a pleasant surprise. It's a uh, pleasure to at least be on the airwaves, maybe not on the, the ground just yet, but hopefully when all of this settles, it will be. So you were in South Africa. Uh, were you living here, working here, studying here? Uh, my grandparents had a company there uh, called Mahima Karu, and this was in the mid-90s, and so I had uh, lived with them for a period of time uh, in high school uh, quite a while ago. <laughs> Well, it means you're a South African at heart and you understand exactly <laughs> what we are talking about when we say Sabona and welcome to the show. Dr. Bernard, <laughs> let's, it's very good for us to understand, you know, who we are talking to. We're talking to someone who knows our, our local terrain, but someone who we appreciate as a global society because you're a frontline care worker. You are there helping people in this current pandemic and it can't be an easy fit. How do you keep mentally and emotionally sane? You know, you're right. I'm a critical care doctor here in uh, the United States, and um, I've been taking care of uh, patients for, you know, pretty much uh, the majority, I think, of of my adult life. Uh, And it's always been important to me, I think, to focus on my spiritual health, my mental health, and I'm an advocate for that, and I really, because of the stress of medicine in the United States, uh, even when you're not dealing with a pandemic, um, I'm always encouraging my colleagues and my friends to uh, focus on uh, taking time for themselves, and now I think that those habits that I've really focused on developing over the years uh, through undergraduate school, through graduate school and medical school, residency and fellowship. Uh, You know, I'm really falling back on those habits now and, uh, you know, trying to just, in addition to really focusing on my work, focusing on myself uh, when I have the time. So, you know, uh, practicing gratitude, 
thinking about positive uh, things, connecting with family and friends, uh, eating healthy, uh, getting outside, even if it means being isolated and, and not being able to be around people, but it just enjoying nature and I think connecting with some of the more basic uh, life essentials has been instrumental in, in maintaining my own mental health. A very important thing that uh, to make sure that all frontline workers are maintaining mental and spiritual health because with these trying times I can only imagine how strenuous it can be to work long shifts caring for patients that you generally don't even know much about the pandemic that we are faced with or the disease that um, is COVID-19 and this obviously becomes an issue. If you're a frontline worker and you have been struggling with some of the emotions around this particular pandemic and how you can cope, please do call in and uh, speak to Dr. Bernard, who is a critical care physician, and perhaps he could give you some pointers on how to cope like he has been able to cope. You can also call in on uh, 0891104207. Alternatively, send me an SMS on 41391. My WhatsApp line is 0614104107. I'd love to hear from you. Now, Dr. Bernard, when the pandemic came out about eight months ago, when the year began, from end of last year, beginning of January, it was that's when we started hearing much about COVID-19. When it broke out, the treatment mm-hmm. regimes that were being carried out to date, what have the differences been? You know, we're sort of, we were moving on information that was coming out of places where the virus initially broke out in China and, and uh you know, there have been trials uh, ongoing for years looking at uh, the antiviral potential of several different drugs. You know, in the initial stages, uh, we were moving off of information that we were able to obtain in previous viral outbreaks, other SARS viruses, um, the MERS virus. And so we had kind of a foundation, I think, of, of knowledge that we tried to take and then apply to this virus. Uh, the, some of the initial medications that uh, were being, I guess, touted internationally uh, didn't necessarily pan out to be as helpful as I think we would have hoped. Uh, so in that way, we've sort of been able to collect data over the past few months and learn what has really had a significant effect or or been helpful or been harmful and try to move towards just using treatments that have been proven safe and likely effective. And we've had, you know, unfortunately enough experience, I think, globally to really identify some, uh, some key players, some key drugs that have, I think, over time with our experience contributed to the improvement and survival that we're seeing. I think, uh, you know, in the initial stages, you know, a lot of people were losing their lives and it was because we were kind of just aiming in the dark and there wasn't a clear treatment strategy. And now we're able to, I think, address this illness just a little bit more efficiently. And I think that the result of that is, Um, more people surviving it. 
And uh, it's a very good thing that there are more survivors right now and the medical interventions that you have come across and you have been implementing have really helped the survival rate. Dr. Bernard, let's talk about the painful experiences that you face when you have to manage COVID-19 patients. Could you tell us about some of them? Yeah, I mean, it's a really difficult situation to be in, I think, just as a human being, uh, to know that you're in the presence of a virus that's highly communicable and can have such devastating consequences for, uh, in particular, the most vulnerable people in our society. Um, So the working poor, elderly, people with other comorbidities, other illnesses. And so for me personally, it's never really been about, you know, I guess I've never been the type of person to think about myself. I think about myself in the context of my community, my people, my family. And so it was never really concerned that I would somehow contract this virus. Um, My concern that supersedes that is that I may be a a vessel for this virus to spread into neighborhoods that are very vulnerable. And so in that, it's been hard to balance protecting myself and still connecting with people on on a more humane and compassionate level that usually comes with touch, with a smile, with facial expressions, all of those things uh, that are kind of now absent in healthcare interactions. Uh, it's been a difficult thing, I think, for the majority of my colleagues to not be able to, to connect in those ways with other human beings. And I know that uh, it's been difficult for families and to witness that struggle between you know, loved ones not able to see uh, somebody who's ill in their lives uh, and sometimes who's not going to recover, whose life is going to ultimately end in the hospital uh, without, you know, I think a lot of closure that most of us hope to have at the end of our lives. And so, you know, personally for me, that's been the hardest part is the isolation of people and witnessing that isolation and, and how it impacts, you know, mental, our mental health, our spiritual health, our physical health. Um, I think that that's been sort of the most unfortunate reality of this. Mm. Uh, and I think it's been similar in a lot of different viral outbreaks. You know, I read stories about when HIV first uh, was introduced into the, the mainstream society and how people were very isolated and Dr. we weren't Bernard. sure how it spread and Yes. Uh, let's take a bit of a breather and then we'll come back uh, to that thought. Please hold it. Late Night Conversations. Late Night Conversations. Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight.
Leading the late night conversations on SAFM, my name is Patricia Ntuli. We are the A-team, myself and obviously you, our guests, and the entire team. We are going to, later on in the show, be talking all things SEX. Yes, not suitable for those who are listening under the age of 18. That's straight after the news, so make sure that you are tuned in. At five minutes after 11, exactly on the dot, Dr. Babalaga Fundaga Boza is going to be joining us. And you remember last week we had a heated discussion, right? Mm-hmm. So we're definitely going to continue on that same platform. But right now we are speaking something very relevant to all of us, and that's a health issue around COVID-19. We are speaking to Dr. Ryan Bernard, who's a critical care physician at Keck Hospital in Los Angeles, California. And uh, he's been brought to us by Co-Radio, global health education nonprofit that facilitates discussions between frontline workers across the world. Dr. Bernard, I'd like us to come here. In terms of the mental health issues and the spiritual health issues that frontline workers face, doctors and nurses in South Africa have been under immense pressure, as much as I think you in the USA have also been under pressure. What are some of the things that doctors and nurses need to consider to protect themselves and their families from COVID-19? You know, that's a really great question. I think that, you know, healthcare workers, whether it's in South Africa or in the United States, anywhere around the world, take on a really great responsibility when they uh, commit to caring for people when they're ill, uh, knowing that they could be caring for somebody who has a communicable disease that they could then take uh, to their families. And so, you know, it's important that we're always vigilant. And now it's just even more important because we have this virus that's novel and has never been introduced into society before. And we're seeing the repercussions of that. And so I encourage the people that I work with, you know, to just take the precautions that are recommended by the governmental associations uh, here in the United States. It's the center of disease control and uh, we take their guidance seriously and we try to incorporate the best practices so that we're being safe in public and so that the risk of us transmitting this virus from one person to the next is decreased. And that's pretty standard, you know, just when you're interacting with patients who are, are positive, you're using the proper protective equipment, uh, making sure that you're washing your hands regularly, uh, not touching your face, not touching your eyes, not putting your fingers in your mouth. Uh, those are really, I think, the basics of protecting yourself and protecting your families. Uh, and then, you know, just being safe and wearing a mask when you know that you're uh, going to be around other people and maintaining uh, six feet of social distance isn't possible. Uh, wearing the mask is going to protect other people from uh, the small droplets that you uh, express from your mouth. Uh, and so if you were infected, you would reduce the chance of, uh, others getting it. And those are really, I think the basics. Uh, and I think that if you adhere to those, uh, there's a good chance that you're going to really be successful at protecting the people around you, including your family. Yeah, a very important aspect of that of uh, protecting yourself and your family. But one of the other things that, Dr. Bernard, I, 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 I know this might be very, very uh, difficult for you to answer, but on a daily basis, when you have to deal with COVID-19 patients, how do you deal with the fears 
I understand the measures you can put in place to ensure that uh, you are protecting yourself and uh, protecting your family. But the fear of dealing with a patient that you might lose. Yeah, I think, you know, the fear in this situation is the fear of contracting the virus, right? The fear of not knowing necessarily how to treat people uh, the best way. So the fear of not really knowing what works and, and what doesn't work. And uh, th- those two things, I think, are, are really in- difficult to, to manage from an intellectual perspective, I try to just really live my life um, appropriately fearing, I guess, if that makes any sense. You know, it's kind of hard to say that, um, you know, I'm, I'm really truly scared because uh, it's easy, I think, to allow the hype and the um, and the misinformation to affect the way that you conduct yourself. And when you're dealing with patients and you're taking care of people in their most vulnerable moments, the last thing they want is a healthcare provider who's unnecessarily fearful. And so I think just taking the the knowledge that we have and understanding how this virus is transmitted and how I can protect myself and just following those steps. Um, reduces that so that I'm not so concerned with uh, contracting it and I'm not so concerned with my outcomes. What I'm most concerned about is uh, helping somebody who isn't necessarily familiar with medicine, hasn't been through all the education and the training I have, and is, quite frankly, they're they're scared as hell. You can see it in their eyes. Um, And so it's really, I think, important for me, and that's just the way that I am, and I think most people in healthcare... Uh, we're, we're more of a, we're more selfless, I think, than than what than what than I think the average person. In that, you know, we really focus our days on on taking care of people, and yeah. uh, whether that's our families or our patients or our communities. I think it's just an aspect of uh, people's personality who go into this type of of business. Let me go to uh, the A-team members who are on the line. Here on my WhatsApp, I've got a question for you all the way from Worcester. And our listener says, hi, my favorite lady. That's me, obviously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Please ask for me. Can someone contract or have the virus more than twice? in their lifetime. As the president just said, we still are going to live with this. Can one recover and then contract the virus again and again? So that's not necessarily really known yet because it hasn't been around long enough to really uh, figure that out. It's unknown. Whenever you have a virus, your body creates an immune response. And that immune response, uh, it lasts for a variable amount of time. So we know that in the case of the flu, every year the flu sort of adapts to the virus, to the vaccine that was created the year before or uh, mutates in a way that the virus, the vaccine that was used the year before isn't effective. And so every year we have to get immunized against influenza because there's a possibility that we will be reinfected with a different strain. We're not really clear on 
on how coronavirus is able to mutate and how that mutation will affect uh, our ability to develop a vaccine that's very effective, right? Measles vaccines, for instance, are, are uh, very effective and they last for a very long time. Uh, and so it's unclear, I think, at this point. It's, uh, you know, I think it's, it's unlikely that in, you know, the short period of time, in a short period of time, if you've been affected, you know, say in March, it's unlikely that you would be reinfected, I think, in, in June. Um, because I, I think that most of the scientific community agrees that that's probably not likely. Uh, but impossible, it's it's hard to say because we just don't have the the proof. Okay. And there's another question. So, uh, Anonymous says, let's say I have HIV and I was exposed to a person who has COVID, but then the 14-day quarantine passes and I don't get this COVID. What does it mean? And for people with this illness being HIV, how should they look after themselves? You know, I think that's a really great question, and and I love uh, the I love the analogy to the HIV virus because I think that uh, first of all, what's really incredible about this pandemic is the way that the private and public sectors have come together in a coordinated effort in an information sharing effort to create a vaccine uh, that you know hopefully with all of the investment and all of the uh, studies and all of the uh, um, all the act- activity around developing a vaccine for coronavirus, we're going to learn something that might translate into development of a vaccine for HIV, which I know is going to really be a game changer uh, across the world, but specifically, I think, particularly in Africa. Uh, you know, in the initial stages of this pandemic, I wondered, oh, wow, if people are uh, with HIV are on their antiviral treatments, maybe could they be immune to uh, the development uh, or of COVID? Could they be immune to this coronavirus? Uh, or were, if the people were taking uh, medications uh, to prevent their, uh, from, to prevent contracting HIV PrEP, uh, could they be immune to the coronavirus? I think that what we've learned is that the coronavirus, its uh, life cycle uh, isn't necessarily impacted by the same medications that we use for HIV. Uh, and so that's a little bit uh, unfortunate because that would have been amazing. But from most people who have HIV who are on their uh, antivirals, their immune system is healthy. And, uh, you know, HIV-positive people are living uh, longer, uh, healthier lives in, in some ways than uh, non-HIV-positive people. And that's because uh, they're consistently seeing doctors and they're on top of their, their health and they're sort of hopefully adopting better, healthier lifestyles. Uh, so, you know, I think that while I was concerned, you know, I don't necessarily look at the majority of people with HIV who are on medications and that are controlling their viral load and uh, with a healthy CD4 count and a healthy immune system that they're any more susceptible. So I think that there's some promise in that. So uh, if you have HIV, you know, continue taking your medications and practicing the same uh, ways that other people are to prevent contracting the illness. And I, I don't necessarily think that your risk, if you do have HIV, is, is much higher than, than others uh, who don't. 
Now, uh, as we close off, uh, Doctor, let me just ask this uh, last question. Um, and this is from our listener. He says, uh, does your guest know that heart heat kills the virus? Is this true? Oh, if it was true, I don't think that we would be seeing the virus in so many different parts of the world. I mean, uh, think about all these places in the world where it's so hot, <laughs> you know. Uh, in Arizona, for instance, in the United States, it's a desert state. Uh, the temperatures there are 120 degrees, and they have some of the highest uh, case counts in the country, I think in the world, actually, right now. And so that's while heat does destroy viruses, uh, the, the myth that uh, this virus isn't effective in spreading and hot, uh, humid or dry climate is not true and that uh, there's uh, very much just as much risk in in the hot places of the world as there are in the the cold chilly places Um, and so you know unfortunately uh, just because you live in a hot climate you're not exempt to uh, the devastation that this uh, virus is causing uh, throughout the, the world. Dr. Ryan Bernard, we salute you and all the frontline workers who are doing such tremendous work around the globe. We salute you for being selfless and for helping all of us, whether you're in South Africa, in the USA, in Europe, wherever you may be. But on behalf of us as SAFM Late Night Conversation family, we salute you. Thank you so very much for your time and may God bless you. Uh, thank you so much uh, to all of you there and to the Co-Radio Project for connecting us. Uh, we really appreciate uh, your well wishes and um, all the best to you. And I hope to see you in South Africa soon. Thank you so very much, Dr. Bernard. That was Dr. Ryan Bernard, a critical care physician at Keck Hospital, Los Angeles in California. And he was brought to us in partnership with Co-Radio, a global health education nonprofit that facilitates discussions between frontline workers across the world. This is SAFM Late Night Conversations.